the incomparable. Number 249, May 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. Now, over the past year, we have tried some interesting things in a uh, spinoff podcast of this podcast called TV that you can find at theincomparable.com, talking about different shows week by week as they come out. And uh, we, we really like superheroes. So, in fact, two of the shows that we spent a lot of time talking about on those podcasts were The Flash and Arrow. Uh, so we're going to talk about them. We also, uh, there are a bunch of episodes about Daredevil. So uh, that we like superhero shows. There are a bunch of other superhero shows that are also on the air, including and comic book related things, including Gotham, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter and Constantine. Uh, it was a superhero comic-y kind of TV season. So to wrap up the season of comic book TV shows, I have brought together an all-star panel, including many stars who have appeared on those TV podcasts of your. I, I introduce to you first the cast of the Flashcast, Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you back, uh, Philip Mosalak. Mose, welcome to the uh, welcome to the Mother Zeppelin. I feel like I got pulled into the um, the big kids table. <laughs> That's right. Just <laughs> squeeze on in. Use your Thank napkin. You. And Tony Sindelar. Hi, Tony. Hi, nerds. <laughs> uh, also here representing the uh, the Speedy Arrowcast, Dan Morin. Hello. And Guy English. Hello. And representing nothing is David Lore. Hello. My name is Barry Allen, and I'm the fastest man alive. Not nope. true. Nope. Damn. Nope. No. Nice try. Mm-mm. Worth a shot. Yeah. No, not with the crowd. So uh, <laughs> let, we're, we're going to go. It's, you know, we only have one podcast here, and, and, and we have like seven shows to talk about. And I, I, I will say that um, if you want detailed feelings about uh, The Flash and Arrow and Daredevil, you should check out the TV podcast because we, we let our feelings go week by week there. And, and I love I love The Flash Uncilted. cast. I'm sure I would love The Arrow cast if I weren't a season behind on Arrow. And I've enjoyed <laughs> the half of The Daredevil cast that I've been able to listen to because I'm only about halfway through. So... Uh, that's an endorsement is what I'm saying. They're great. The the ones that I've heard anyway are great. And I'm sure the others are also great. Uh, so with that said, let's not talk about those first and instead talk about, uh, let's start with Gotham. Ugh. Gotham, Fox's <laughs> Gotham, which which uh, we discussed early on um, after the first couple episodes, I think it aired and described it as this weird mix of shows where it's it's uh, uh, Gotham's supervillain babies. There's Jim Gordon, uh, cop on the edge, and there's creepy young Bruce Wayne. Uh, any, I, I watched three episodes and gave up. What does everybody else think? I watched them all, Jason. Oh. R.I.P. Dan. Yeah, I watched all of them because oh. of my Batman obsession. Batman obsession. Oh, it's it's not the completest instinct. It's the Batman. Obsession. Well, my my completest instinct is particularly strong in things related to mm. Batman. Mm. Yeah. I gave up four episodes from the end after Fish Mooney became president of the Thunderdome. Woo. I'm I'm Batman obsessed and I gave up after seven episodes. Mm. So So there's a good show in Gotham, but it's a Franken like it's Frankenstein from like there's like eight other shows in it as well. So I am not sure that there's a good show. Tell me no, about no, this so good we, show. The good show. So here, here's the thing: is like the, it's not not any one of them is a good show, but if you like took each of them together, you can make a fairly passable like few dozen episodes in there. It, I felt like it got a little better, and then it gets really bad. And there's a whole arc with a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that was that's I was like good. that was like 
not a good ending note. There was one. I think that the thing that finally got us to turn it off was when Barbara did not get killed by the serial killer. And well, because one of the one of the the corners that the show's writers were in is you get introduced to Barbara and ostensibly she's supposed to marry Jim Gordon and they're supposed to have, I guess, Barbara Gordon Jr. who will then go on to become Batgirl and Oracle and Batgirl again. And the problem is, is the two actors who are playing Jim and Barbara had no chemistry whatsoever. And literally everybody else he was on screen with, he sparked with better. And they found him a different love interest in Marina Baccaran. And that looked like that was going places, but they still had this big Barbara problem. And by the time we stopped watching it, our big Barbara problem was why is she still here? She she gets increasingly creepy too. Like there was a scene that I think Guy and I talked about on the, we mentioned briefly on the Arrowcast where she takes in Selena and there's oh, a it's when she's got there's this scene where she's like drinking with the girls yeah and, and trying well, so on we, clothes like some wilson phillips video and she's she goes into a whole thing about how beautiful selena kyle is and at the same time because we've specifically it would not be that creepy if it weren't for the fact that we've been told that barbara is uh, interested in women as well as men yeah. so it comes yeah. off really creepy in that one scene and also teen runaways are usually prone to sexual exploitation so there's a whole thing going on there where you're like oh is this gonna be like a fish mooney thing where she like uses people and uh, but they don't but it but then it's left like just sitting there like that was a weird creepy scene in a vacuum like which does is sort of indicative of the show you could call it weird creepy scene in a vacuum and you'd be pretty much right about most episodes (laughs) yeah like the the stuff that i tuned in for for as long as i did was i really liked the rapport between jim and his partner and if it had Mm -hmm. been two cranky detectives crab at each other while solving cases that would have been great because I love I love a good cop I love a yeah. good buddy cop show well, and and I liked the Bruce Wayne story actually because I felt that so much time and attention is given to Bruce Wayne in sort of the Batman Begins training thing where it's like he learns to be you know do karate um, but I thought that this this was an interesting job of dealing with a young Bruce Wayne who has had his parents murdered isn't necessarily at the point where he's going to start training to being like you know a a major ass kicker but we know that batman is also there's a whole detective angle and so we see the bruce wayne who's like trying to piece things together and solve a mystery which i thought was actually kind of cool and like the the report between him and and alfred get a lot better as the season goes along i really like alfred as they go i like sean pertwee the the alfred character almost makes batman make sense because alfred is a bit of a kick-ass kind of guy in this one like he's SAS, not, yeah yeah he's not um just like a doting butler he's not like, just looking for his great poupon exactly <laughs> yeah he's 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 got some hard edges on him and he's trying his best to sort of raise a child the obvious problem though there's no batman that is my problem with vast swaths of media <laughs> <laughs> the critical bat the deficit of 2015 uh, so here's the here's the thing that i that's also weird about this whole show the premise of this entire show is that jim gordon is trying to clean up gotham now if we now and, and i think you have to be careful when it comes to superhero to- shows about saying we know this is going to happen because this is who these characters are in the comic books and i and i've you know we talked a lot about that on arrow like this these two characters have to end up together because they end up together in the comics and it's like i don't know that that's the case but the weird thing about the way that gotham is structured is the only real good resolution for the show is if they clean up gotham and they don't need to have a batman like i think that is the only interesting way that (laughs) show could go because it doesn't make sense otherwise it's just a story of failure like it's a story of everybody failing to do everything Dan, that's that's life but that's also life in gotham especially jim gordon doesn't get to win crime wins like 80 percent of the time or it's the wire light 
And, and that works great if you are the wire. Well, but Jim Gordon gets to be the commissioner, right? So I feel like that was that that's got to be the the path of this show. And yeah. I di- I do like Ben McKenzie and Donald Logan. I thought that those guys worked well together. Mm-hmm. And, and and I feel like that's the only you've got if you've got to give somebody hope with the show, it has to be that, which is James Gordon, who has entered this completely corrupt city and this completely corrupt police force, is eventually going to get them together enough to be the police commissioner and at least be perhaps. You know, we can dream that the police uh, department will be cleared of corruption and he will instill in them, uh, you know, uh, some some ethics and more overrun and, by supervillains. And then but just lose. sadly, <laughs> the supervillains will require uh, the Batman to come. You know, I hear that the season six of The Wire was also about the Batman showing up and cleaning up Baltimore. So I really <laughs> sad to miss out on it, that one. It did turn into that. Yeah, it got a little preachy because David Simon had a history as a sidekick and he was really letting all of his knives out about like how badly he was treated as a sidekick. So it's it got a little preachy. Corruption among butlers. It turns out The Wire was the name of the superhero. That was the big twist at the end was that yes. that was the name of the superhero. All you along. know, you just but that was that would actually have been interesting is if the folks who were writing Gotham sat down and said, okay, basically we're telling a story like The Wire where Jim gets morally compromised in some ways, but he thinks it's for a greater good in other ways. And this is how the system wins and this is how people win. And then and, somebody busts into the room and says, I have an idea for five other stories instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. They're like, ship it. You're really yeah. enthusiastic about it and we're bored. Let's go. Yep. Yeah. I totally agree with Lisa because that character is morally compromised anyway. Like mm-hmm. yeah. He's hanging out with a vigilante and he's got a big giant vigilante lamp on his building like he's he's clearly morally compromised right so that didn't end up there by accident right yeah yeah so he got there somehow what's this doing here it was an art project barbara brought it home from school when he ask questions so yeah I, that's a that's an interesting story to tell one which i don't think they're telling necessarily but no yeah a vigilante lamp yeah <laughs> you can get it in a crate and barrel it has the feeling of being written by written by committee i mean i feel i feel bad for the actors because they're obviously they a lot of the actors were doing their best to try and and commit to a specific vision of the character especially edward nigma yeah like he's I, great Oh yeah, no, he's phenomenal. And um, Ben McKenzie, who I really loved on Southland, and um, Donald I like the Lowe. Penguin too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, rather I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed his his a lot of great characters. They're all in different shows, sadly, but they're a lot of great characters. <laughs> oh, Edward Nigma, will you ever quit it with your silly riddles, Mister Nigma? Oh, don't worry. In the last <laughs> episode of the season, they make it very explicit what's going to happen to him. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. I don't. Yeah. I felt so bad for Edward Nigma all, all. I felt so bad for him all season because he's just this weird, smart dude who who literally is smart, and the one thing he can't crack is how, is is how to relate to other human beings. And he tries. Like there's this unquenchable optimism through much of the season, and I was like, oh my god, Edward Nigma, I wish the show were about you and mm. grumpy cops and no one else. Yeah. I don't like what they did to him by the end of the mm. season, and yeah. I won't say it just because. I don't think everybody's got there yet. Dude, I really don't care about getting spoiled. I do not care. I watched three episodes, gave up on it, and then watched the rest. So that's not <laughs> really, that's, that's that's really giving up. That's a post-give-up viewing. That's <laughs> yeah, interesting. exactly. Yeah. The big problem I have with it, I mean, aside from just the tone and the violence and the fact that my kids want to watch it and they really shouldn't, um, and it's on at 8 o'clock, so, you know, try pulling them away from it, um, is that it's... You know, and, and aside from the failure, you know, all the time it's going to have to end up in failure for Batman to show up. All of these villains that we're getting to meet, all of the villain babies, are going to be so much older than Batman by the time he's Batman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like, what, 20 years? 
You don't maybe. know that, man, because he could drop into one of those reverse Lazarus pits and just skip puberty <laughs> altogether. You know, that's why maybe. he's the Batman, is he's never had to go through an awkward phase. Yeah. It's a great Batman series right. where he just fights all these villains with, like, canes and walkers. <laughs> like, yeah. this, is how, this is how 15-year-old Batman wins. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I'd love to see one where, and, and I mean, they sort of tried that, I guess, with Fish Mooney, but, but to sort of see, you know... Who were the villains that inspired the Joker and the Riddler and the Penguin? Now, mm. I, I don't want to see the mob bosses that they all worked for. I want to see that first generation oh, of Don creepy Felks. villains. And I, you know, I think one of the most effective episodes for me, at least, was the episode about uh, the Red Hood yeah, because that was, that was kind of one about yeah. like an urban legend of Gotham instead of a specific character where you have to start doing the math about how old will they be when they matter. You know, that, yeah. so I really like that episode. I totally I, loved it, and and because yeah, they set that, that guy up to be the joker so badly yeah and that was also one of those ones that they they kind of focused a lot more on one continuous plot line than oh god that that episode had everything in it it had snakes and clowns and (laughs) love triangles and what else could you ask for really that's everything i want (laughs) yeah that's pretty much it Except you know. for uh, it, it was missing a gorilla, admittedly. Mm. You know, not everything can have a psychic gorilla. Yeah. What? You've shaken my belief system. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> it has a critical Batman and gorilla deficit, Tony. <laughs> you know, I deal with these issues every day. So. Someone tweeted this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, uh, you have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that talks about and talks about and talks about. And you have Gotham that talks about and talks about and talks about. And The Flash, you want a psychic gorilla? Boom! You psychic get a psychic gorilla. gorilla. They yeah. kept me waiting. They kept me waiting for that psychic gorilla for a long time. Like twenty one episodes. Yeah. But now yeah. that they've now but that they've man, taken the gorilla off it. the table. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we can, not every show can have a psychic gorilla. We should probably move on. <laughs> Law and Order could use one. To, yeah, well, Jerry Orbach was essentially playing that part. I thought that's why Chris Noth was. <laughs> um, so at least Same joke, we crossed actors. our jokes. Um, I went with Jerry Orbach. I don't know. I went with Chris Noth. Yeah. It, it works. It works. <laughs> that's let's why talk, they worked well together. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Agents of Shield. Oh. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying for a while now. It, you know, we the, the the legend is that it turned around sort of midway through the first season and became more interesting, which was not hard because it was not interesting. <laughs> and then in the second season, I would say that I went through a period where I was bored again, and then I went through a period where I was interested again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and yet, so this is one that I've seen. Um, uh, uh, I, what I find ba- baffling about it is, first off, they do seem hamstrung by the fact that they need to lead up from and then recede back from afterward the release of Avengers Age of Ultron, where they kind of have to tie into that in some way. But also, they took this long digression with the Inhumans. And the thing that baffled me about it is I felt like the Inhumans plot, where they find these Inhumans and they've got powers and they've got their little, you know, whatever it is, village in the mountains. Um, and I don't understand the racism against powered people. And I guess that's the premise of the show, but I think it just points out how misguided the show's premise is where when they find all these powered people, everybody, and when sky is revealed to have her powers, they, um, the, the response is like, she's a threat. She must be stopped. It's like, you know, the Avengers over there, those are all powered people and you like them. Right. But why do you hate everybody else? And the answer is because our show is our show is about people whose job is to find and capture people who have powers, which it should never have been because that's boring. They have those guys all filled out a W-2. They've got a photocopy of Thor's driver's license. It's all legit. Literally the (laughs) dramatic moment that leads into the season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is when Edward Edward James Olmos appears Mm -hmm. and asks uh, the the community of superpowered people up in the mountains to fill out some forms. 
that yeah. li- like literally yeah. that is the thing and well, the answer is the, he is killed the answer is murder and <laughs> yeah. that and that is why they're also dangerous we must round them up clearly I people guess. don't like paperwork legit well if they had done more to show inhumans actually being terrifying to people um because they did they, they finally did the agent may backstory thing and yeah which was good i thought well that, yeah. the thing is, is that episode is brutal because it shows um it, it shows how work relationships can get and how terrifying it can be if somebody has a power and is not in control of their faculties in any way or they're very young. And if we had seen more stuff like that to justify the hatred and fear that other people had, it might make more sense. Like May's, May's beef is legit because yeah. she had to take out a kid and she saw an army of mind-controlled zombies and, and all that. Um and to be frank, I wouldn't mind if someone took out Sky because I think that she's kind of a drag on the whole show. But well, yeah, for, for, yep. for, for show reasons, I see why you'd want to take out Sky. But she's proven herself loyal. She's got powers now, like with Deathlock, right? I mean, I just don't understand the internal logic of the show saying, you know, other than they want to create some conflict with. Yeah. So we'll create some other shield agents who well, are jerks. They, they, well, they did it with the X-Men, too. X-Men as yeah. well. And I realize you can't say mutants in this universe because legal blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that has always struck me as kind of weird about the X-Men is how everybody's knee-jerk reaction is to scream, it's a mutant! When some of these mutants are doing, can, can do things like, you know, heal the sick or teleport things at mission-critical moments or beef out infrastructure. And I think maybe what you have to do is either you have to question the trope that superpowered people are inherently worth being feared, so that's, that's, our, that's the natural reaction, or you, you have to kind of commit to it the other way, which is superpowered people are terrifying because they, they have no internal governance and they enjoy wreaking havoc. And one of the things that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does is it just it, it doesn't ever hit a consistent tone. Like now, if you find a colony yeah. of, of superpowered people who are off on their own, not bothering anybody, I don't I don't really understand why everybody freaks out and thinks we need to bring, you know, fighter jets on scramble unless they fill out our forms well the only way that would have worked for me better is if jiang had actually been like building up to a war anyway and nobody realized it because she was she was rocking that eileen fisher's and master vibe but (laughs) you know it just that that kind of came out of nowhere when all of a sudden she does the big heel turn and you realize that okay cal is crazy but he's not the villain here she is which they, by the way, actually like spell out explicitly yeah. in the last episode where, you know, she's a monster. You've known all along. And I was, I was like, oh, really? This I think they're building, they're building up to uh, Cap 3 and the uh, Civil War stuff, right? See, now, yep. now, Guy, you just pointed out exactly why I hate this show. And <laughs> I watch it, but it's essentially <laughs> a commercial. It is a commercial for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they only build up to something interesting when it's movie release date time. I disagree with that in far, as far as Age of Ultron goes. I think that the Age of Ultron stuff they put in was totally unnecessary. There was I no agree. It was dumb. Yes. It, they, they didn't uh, work the same side, way. On the flip side, I love the Captain America stuff in Age of Ultron so much more thanks to having watched um, Peggy. Uh, you know the, the Peggy Agent Cardi Carter. miniseries because they that okay that was an awesome miniseries and it fleshes her out a lot more than she gets in Captain America where she's still an awesome character and so by the time we start in Age of Ultron I'm like it's my friend Peggy and oh there's so much pathos to this but it doesn't translate the other way at all and um, I was also kind of disappointed that we didn't get any Samuel L. Jackson this season because for me the highlight of the end of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is when Samuel L. Jackson shows up in a helicopter and is all 
grab my hand. And I was like, oh, they're all in. This is so great. And this year it's, you know, setting up Ward, who is like a B-list villain at best, to be like the new nemesis. And I really like psychotic Ward. I'm sorry. I'm I really, so really enjoy that character. I really I, enjoy I, I like I really, him, but I'm bored out of his mind. I I just I just enjoy how del- he's just he's just so crazy. Like he's just so crazy. He just I really needs a hobby. Do you actually enjoy him, or you just find him refreshing? As <laughs> I just to I find him I, vanilla I, ward. I well I definitely find I definitely find uh, find him refreshing compared to first season ward, who is just dull as a yeah. post. Right. Cal was the best part of the whole yes, season. Kyle I was going to say yes. full, full credit Kyle McLaughlin. Great, oh, lot yes. of fun, huge amount of fun. Oh, um, I, I, I'm with Dan in that I think I think that I enjoyed the this sort of third turn on Ward, where he's sort of like he's killed his family, he's left Hydra, he's kind of okay, he's in a good place in that he's yeah. you know an evil freelancer, but he's like in a good, he's, he's in he's a stable a place. He's figured out what he needs to be, and he's got a relationship. He's got his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Even when they do that, though, I I like that they resist trying to redeem him anyway. Like, yes, he kind of almost has a soft side, and like they have to work with him but it's never like oh we've re-accepted you like there's that great bit in the like one of the penult- penultimate episodes where they get like it's literally the original cast from the original season yes and it's like <laughs> but the dynamics are all different and i thought that was a really great that was really i funny. liked that episode just because it was like nobody has forgiven him and everybody like even every scene where he's like okay i'm giving you the briefing on this they're like yeah, we don't yeah, want to die. listen to you. Yeah, you should just die. go die. <laughs> and I'm like, you. that is realistic, because if somebody did that to you guys, you would not, like, even if you had to work with them, you would not like it. You would not be softened on them at all. And I enjoy that dynamic. I like how he had an ex-coworker who kept trying to kill him and, and getting other people. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I can't keep, just, I have to keep thinking, there would be so much more interesting. I mean, I like I like Coulson. Coulson is fine. But, like, a, a much more interesting show would be, like, Deathlock and I'll say it like and Sky Bobby. with Sky with powers and Bobby, which is a great addition. We get yes. we get Tyra mm-hmm. from Friday Night Lights and she's kicking yeah. ass as Mockingbird, right? That's there. There's some good. In fact, you could argue that they could just sort of let the old characters go away, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the new characters, which they introduced this season, are more interesting. Um, I feel like there there would be a good show in there, and yet what they seem to dwell on more than not is this is like they're they're so committed to their original actors and their original boring. Premise instead of just completely chucking it out and saying you know now we're essentially shield's got its own sort of semi super team that that fights crimes sounds like more interesting season three might be yeah that may that may be where they go and i have to give them thumbs up too also i think that they did as much as i think flash and arrow which we will talk about at some point are probably better shows uh, I have to give full credit to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for having certainly the most female characters who are probably the, the most three-dimensional, I think, oh, yeah. of all those mm-hmm. shows. Yeah. It's true. Uh, a, true. Lot, a, yeah. a lot of female characters that are strongly developed, which is great. Uh, a decently diverse cast, which is mm-hmm. also good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and I think something that a lot of the other shows that we like are lacking. Um, and And I think that that's... There are a lot of things that have hampered that show and held it back. I believe that unlike Gotham, which I think, you know, despite arguing that there was a good show in there somewhere, I, I really think that that's it's pretty much a lost cause. Doomed, I, yeah. I don't see other yes. ways. Whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think is salvageable. I think there is good stuff I don't in know. there. I kind of feel like like Dollhouse, another another Joss Whedon show, I feel like they're they're sort of so trapped in their original premise that they they literally would have to have the, the fortitude to just chuck the premise, at which point I don't know why they wouldn't just cancel the show and replace it with a new Marvel-themed show that had a better premise. But because, you know, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff is just kind of boring. But they have introduced good characters 
this year. So there's hope that they could re-spin it into something that was more interesting than than what they've done up to now. It's just, I don't know. There's something holding it back. I was excited when they had like the Shadow Shield coming out with Edward James almost and Bobby yeah. to that. And I, I actually think the mistake they made was bringing Coulson back. And this is not because the actor who is is great at what he did. Clark Gregson's great. And I love him in the movies, but the weird paradox is the more you see him on the show, the less you get a sense of the character. At this point, he's just like a dude in a suit who says dry little quips. Says cryptic things and has a plan yeah. that you'll and, find about and, later. And like has <laughs> and, and has projected all and has projected his desperate need for an emotional life onto his agents in, in, in like weird and muted ways because he's got his two surrogate daughters in um, in Gemma and Sky. Yeah. And, but uh, I, I don't think he adds anything to the show anymore. And his whole business with the Tahiti reveal was kind of an, oh, really, this is where we're going oh. with this. And I get that they had to do that to get to the Inhumans and to the aliens, and it ties into the next stage of the whole Marvelverse. And I actually think that's the biggest handicap this show has, is it has to act as a house organ for for people to remind them that you you have this incomprehensible slew of movies where you have to collect all the stones. That's and right. That's and right. Like they've referred to the Cree at a couple points and you have yeah. been just, ugh. and and I thought this is tricky and complicated and people who watch TV to escape are not going to want to do this. They're going to be much more, whereas if it's a show where it's, it's Deathlock and Mockingbird and Agent May, you know, jetting around the world and doing awesome stuff to it, I would, I would watch that every I week. I agree. Yeah. Well, and and the thing, the reason I just sort of dipped in and 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 I, you know, I came back to it at the end of season one, and I loved the way they resolved Bill Paxton. That was yep. so beautiful. It was, I mean, it was the ultimate Whedon bad, big bad ending, right? Um, just a wonderful moment. And so when season two started, I'm like, all right, I'm on board, and and I just got bored, and I kept coming back through the season, and you know, and and Edward James almost, I'm like, yes, okay. This is what the show needs. It needs this grounded authority figure that you just, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And and then they kill him off. It's yeah. Like, mm-hmm. No. And he had a great point about what S.H.I.E.L.D. should be, too. That was yes. the thing. Is nothing that he or Bobby was saying was wrong. Well, no, they made they made him a racist. They made him totally freaked right. out about the fact that there were powered people everywhere. And you should lock Sky up. She's a thing, right? Except, and that's just ridiculous. Is, is it's Sky, ridiculous. Sky, except that Sky couldn't control her powers at that well, point. Yeah, okay. And they could they could have made the narrative decision to say, yeah, these people are dangerous because either they can't control their abilities or they can and they choose to do it in dangerous ways. Like to cross shows from one of the things I love about the Flash is you have a lot of supervillains who are like, I have powers. It's the whole I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into, into dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, thing. yes, absolutely. Like, right. You know, and the Marvel problem is you have these people who are I have these strange powers. Time to go have a crisis of identity about it instead of being all, I can turn people into dinosaurs. The problem right. is is that, that Olmos's character needed some nuance to say, look, yeah. I know you like Sky. I know you've yes. trained her to be an agent. She may be a good agent, but if she's not handling her powers right, she's a threat and we need to take her off the board until we can get that under control. But instead, what he says is, it's a thing. Yeah. It's not human. It's a monster. And it's just ludicrous. It's absolutely right. ridiculous. So, so almost they make him into this villain essentially when he could have been and looked like he might have been uh, a really interesting kind of counterpoint to mm-hmm. Clark Gregg and I actually like that moment where he's like you're right you should be in charge of me and it's like yeah that yeah that James Edward James almost will be like it's like Miami Vice all over again you got to check with Lieutenant Castillo before you go out I, I think I just got frustrated and kind of fed up with the show at that point when they introduced the whole like separate shield faction and I was just like there's just <laughs> yeah. too many factions because there's there's shield and now there's other shield who both of them think the other is bad and then there's and hydra there's, and there's, there's hydra humans. factions and there's hydra people killing each other and there are people you know 
breaking cover to do things and quadruple and moving, and humans. agent 33 is getting pushed all around and like like keeping track of where like somebody who was like a hostage in a bargaining chip would like get yeah. like yeah it, like it just I, I mean maybe i'm dumb and a bad person but i just thought it was muddled yeah I well, hear and you. that's and that's the thing is you know i with with the shows that work of all of these superhero shows they're really lightly serialized and then you have gotham and shield which are just so byzantine and you can't just sit down and enjoy an episode out of order it's all like it's all like comic books weirdly enough yeah. <laughs> like each episode needs to open with an org chart showing you the current status of the world and like <laughs> maps with little flags on them showing you where hydra has power we need to move on to agent carter but i'm going to use as a transition i'm going i want to enhance with the point that you just made which is um when agent carter went off and shield came back and they started up the first scene of the first episode back. I I watched every episode of the show, and I was like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, I don't know who, I, and I'm like I'm pretty good at what's happening and who's doing what and all of that, except for Game of Thrones because that's way too confusing. <laughs> and and I was like, I don't even remember anything about this show, and that's a bad sign when you when you lose the plot in in nine weeks uh like any vestige of the plot you are not doing a good job at your show and it had a previously on oh yeah and, and i still didn't still understand no it no exactly. it made no sense <laughs> I, I i didn't have a problem with it sorry Let, guys yeah, yeah yeah it just yeah um obviously didn't stick <laughs> i'd like to have you imagine a world populated by superheroes it's a world without spam or viruses or bounced email. It's a world where the greatest superhero of all is one named MailRoute. Imagine opening your email and seeing only the legitimate mail that you want and need to receive. You can live in this magical world. You don't need to be a superhero. MailRoute has the superpower to make that a daily reality. You don't need to maintain any of your own hardware or software. You sign up for MailRoute. You change the MX records on your domain to point at MailRoute. And that's it. MailRoute receives all of your inbound mail. It sorts it. It filters out the bad stuff and delivers only the clean email to your mailbox. It's easy to set up reliable, trusted by large institutions like universities and corporations. As a desktop user, you'll find the MailRoute interface simple and effective. And if you're an email administrator or IT professional, they've built all of their tools with you in mind. There's an API for easy account management, and it supports all of the features that you would expect from people handling your mail, including LDAP and Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, mailbagging, and outbound relay. You can start a risk-free trial, no credit card necessary. You sign up, change your MX records, and your mailbox and hardware will be completely protected. It's simple and effective. There's no good reason not to try it. I've been using it for a couple of years now. It really works, has filtered out huge amounts of spam. And if something does get caught in the spam filter, I get a daily spam report. I make one click. That person is whitelisted. They are never filtered again. And the mail they sent me is delivered. Super easy to use. All listeners to The Incomparable will receive 10% off for the life time of your account just go to mailroute.net slash snell right now that's mailroute.net slash snell and thank you to mailroute for sponsoring the incomparable agent carter let's oh, say let's say nice yeah. things about agent carter because i thought agent carter was really good it's beautifully shot carter. yeah so stylish so stylish 
stylish. Some period uh, sp- period spy. I mean, it's Marvel, right? But and there's a superhero-y kind of thing. But it's like you know, I love the the fact that it was more about like actual spies and 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 all the period stuff was really well done. I thought and Peggy is a really uh, Haley Atwell is a good actress, and I, I I enjoyed her character and the fact that she's put against the you know these these awful people who basically consider her a secretary, even though we know that she is a hero from World War Two. It's like World War Two is over, honey. Now get me That's some like coffee. The greatest thing about the show, though, is it shows how difficult post-war readjustment was for mm-hmm. everybody because yeah. so often you have these World War Two narratives and, you know, snap clothes on shot of soldier dipping nurse into kiss fades to black. Up comes some tasteful serif font that tells you how people lived long and prospered. And instead, you've got war veterans who are all jacked up and people who are living in the bodies that got blown apart and women who had like five or six years of unprecedented autonomy and opportunity who are being crammed back into boxes. And it was just great to see this all playing out. Um, I thought it was a little heavy handed sometimes because surely some of these dudes would have noticed that, Hey, that the, the women and non-white people that I, I was around during the war were really competent. There's no reason why they're not now, but for the most part, I, I thought it was a really great look at post-war shock and an excellent way to build up the creeping threat of, you know, the red, the, the, the black widows and the other spy apparatuses that just kept uh, ticking in the distance. Um, Dottie was like one of my favorite things about this show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say narratively, there's, there's a lot of, I think this show in terms of, you know, putting up against agents of shield shows what happens when you only have 13 episodes to deal with than 23 or whatever you can, you can get 23. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It was even less, right? Yeah. So there's an economy there, right? You can do that. You can do a serialized show, in well, eight that's, episodes. And that's what it is. It's it's a story. It's a it's right, an eight episode exactly. story. And, arc. and that's I think one of the best choices they made here was was doing a show that is not twenty odd episodes long, because invariably within that you have to go down all these little dead ends and cul-de-sacs in trying to craft an overall message that doesn't just get like, oh, we introduced a problem this week and it got resolved in, in like five episodes. I don't see why I don't see why long series um and I refer to almost all the ones that we're talking about. I don't see why you couldn't just chunk it into like three groups of seven episodes a piece. And that's kind of what they tried with arrow this year and it had mixed results. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Cause, cause I had, a, I had a hard time to back through it anyway, to get back to agent Car- Carter, it, it worked. You're right. It worked cause it was shorter. Um, I also think it worked because they're not constrained by modernity. If that makes sense. Like you really could double down on the music and the aesthetics. Like, one of the most knockout sequences in the premiere, the thing that got me hooked was when Peggy uses her lipstick to take a guy out in the office and she's in that beautiful dress and she's got on that platinum wig and the, the everything from the set decoration to the music, it's like a really beautiful, toxic dream. And I was like, I'm, you never see anything like that on agents of shield. Never like, the uh, the fight sequences were just so beautiful. Like the first time that Dot that that Dottie does the parkour off the wall and grabs the guy's gun oh. and kills him was amazing. I swear I watched that sequence like five times just because I was so mesmerized by watching her legs move the way they moved. And this show was just beautiful and stylish, and it was like a perfect little jewel box. Um, well, the the radio drama yeah. bit in the mm-hmm. with the fight, yeah, like narrated against I the radio drama. That. David, I I know you that, yeah. that that would probably did it for you. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna say. You know, considering all the radio theater stuff, it doesn't surprise anybody that I loved this show. I mean, this, Mm -hmm. you know, of all the shows I've watched this year, this was one of the few where I sat there going, I want to write this one, you know, because and and especially the the bit where they do, you know, the radio version of Agent Carter is nothing at all like Agent Carter. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) um, it's, it's it was just beautifully, beautifully done. 
I wanted to point out the the most important uh, weirdness of Agent Carter, which I loved and yet was baffled by, which is the concept that somebody is employed as an automat waitress. That makes me laugh because they don't. Uh, yes. That's no an automat doesn't have. You just go to and put in your coin and you get the food. They, there's no service in the auto, but they created this automat diner, which is kind of hilarious but baffling at the same time because it doesn't work like that that's not what that is <laughs> well maybe it's like employing people to pump your well, gas she's got refill drinks uh, yeah automat waitress that's a that is a bad job i love the automat and it it one reason is it probably threw me back to like 60s star trek where they would be in the calf and they did they'd push a button and get like a bunch of colored cubes sure <laughs> foam. Some nutritional foam i i also wanted to put a, a good word in for um james darcy as as jar and edwin jarvis who i thought was a he and oh, yeah. i thought he and peggy have really good chemistry together they work really well together and i and i i do like uh dominic monaghan as as howard stark too i think that oh, the yeah. three the three of them do a, have a you know a good sort of rapport and it's a lot of fun watching them unlike a lot of shows on television the showrunners are women which is a nice yeah they did reaper which yeah. was a, which um there and there are things about reaper that i really liked um had some yeah nice that show had it. no it had no right to be that funny but it, 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 <laughs> it was surprisingly really, well like, done it, it was surprisingly it was, yeah, well done it really was, oh god yeah. and when they brought on um michael ian black and ken marino as the fall as as the fallen angels slash demons and ray of lies and it like they got a balance of 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 deep heavy stuff and 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 really funny quotidian stuff right and i would hope that they would do that a little bit more in season two of of, of agent carter because this one did get bogged down a little bit from time to time and, and, and a little too straight-faced but i'm so looking mm. forward to season two i can't wait to yes. see also yes. i'm dying to find out who peggy marries because they've dropped a couple hints about <laughs> how she's in, she met her husband indirectly because of captain america Yep. And, and now, who is it? What happened? <laughs> I figured it was a Howling Commando. Well, we mm. may find out. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, it's so great to see Neil Donahoe again, too. Like, yeah, that was nice. Oh, and he was so... He I feel was, like we missed the, the Howling Commandos. By, yeah. by fast-forwarding to the future, that's one of the sad things about uh, the first Captain America, is we miss those characters. We don't get a chance to see them anymore because we move mm-hmm. on. I'd, yeah. I'd love a whole series about them. And we must move on now and talk about... I'm sorry, we have to do it. Somebody somebody <laughs> needs to speak for John Constantine. How about against it? Can we speak against it? Well, this I mean, is just a television <laughs> show. I didn't speak for him TV. in the sense that, he's, that, that uh, Constantine... Uh, you know, is exists. Di- well, but died. <laughs> I, dead. I can, I can they, say something. Dead. Nice. Speaking for the dead it. is really they what totally I'm saying. They totally filmed here. it. The actor that plays John Constantine looks like John Constantine. Good. That's job. why they cast him. Good job, yeah, that true. guy. I, and and I think he's he, of the rest of the. I, I would be pretty comp if they wanted to show throughout the rest of the show and just like remake, make a new show with him still as John Constantine. I would watch that show. I think that the problem is everything else in the show. The writing, all the side characters, the plotting. It's slightly entertaining. Zed suffers from the sky thing where everybody thinks she's much more interesting than she actually is. And um, yeah, good production values, too. Actually, the production values in that show are actually top notch, but it just it hangs on a bad story. He needs to be a season of Supernatural is what he needs to be. He's crazy charismatic in the role. And he's actually it was a little unnerving because I'm like, yeah, this is pretty much. 
how he jumps off the covers of the trades I have for, for, for John Constantine. This is how I imagined him in my head. And then everything else around it was like this weird, boring, pseudo X-Files was nonsense. Yeah, it was like fr- and, rejected fringe, fringe script. And Harold, <laughs> per- and, and, and Harold Perrineau deserves better, too, because one of the things I've always enjoyed about him is how easily he rides that line of ambiguity. Like, all of his greatest roles have always been of people who want to be good and have huge flaws in their nature. And so having him as an angel with a really ambivalent agenda, like he could have had a great part and they just wrote him as, 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 Oh, and now here's some exposition and now here's a complication I'm going to throw in because, well, we have to have something to burn up 20 minutes. And, you know, it was a waste of two really good actors. (laughs) And so I just, just skip the show don't do what I did, which is like skip through and watch the end and go, wait, what? And, um, oh, uh, so wait, I got, I got an idea. Yeah. Can we mm-hmm. take Donald Logue from Gotham and recast him as Chaz? Because I feel like he'd be more fun. I think so. Maybe maybe this is what we do is we just start like some sort of Kickstarter to rescue actors from their contracts and put them in the shows we think they deserve to be in. <laughs> Can we uh, also t- talk for a moment about just the fact that this is an example of the cheap, uh, like cheap TV producer syndrome where they made a pilot. They decided to, ch- to get rid of the actress who was playing one of the characters and replace that part with a different character. And rather than... Um, rather than go out with their best foot forward, they just decided to tack like an, uh, a change in the last 30 seconds of the pilot and say, oh, but then she went away and somebody new appeared. Yeah, no, that and, was just awful. And it's just like, that is not a way to launch a show is by introducing you to two characters and then having one of them just unceremoniously dumped at the end of the hour in about 30 seconds. Sad and that's too, what they because did. I've seen her, she's been in other stuff and she's actually a pretty good actress too, but that part was awful and they made her do an American accent, which was yeah. not good. So they should, I mean, and, and if you want to make a change after the pilot, they totally do that but you know you spend the money and um you know fix the pilot and reshoot the pilot or reshoot those scenes in the pilot but to just do that i mean you just jerk around in in, in hour one you've jerked around the viewers by doing oh, this that. is lucy griffiths that they recast right yes yep yeah yeah this needs to be a six episode well, they, bbc show instead or something yeah well yeah she's she's gonna be on she, she, she's gonna be on preacher so <laughs> she's got a type um <laughs> <laughs> how lucky for her how lucky for her <laughs> but, well so constantine was a failure and it sounds like yeah. nobody really wants to defend it particularly so maybe it's all for the best i think I, what i would like to see i would like to see matt ryan as the character show up on lucifer just as a nod ah and an easter egg type thing you know um, lucifer is just going to be worse right yeah because because the because the premise which would have made lucifer great which is the devil runs the piano bar yeah. and every and it's basically the love boat which is what it should be is right. has been turned into instead the devil freelances as a criminal investigator because why not and you gotta pay rent <laughs> i guess yeah uh, I I, w- I did like Stephen Amell from Arrow suggesting that they if they if Netflix rescued Constantine he would guest star on it and I was like because he would go to him for advice about the Lazarus pits and I was like wow that would be very interesting but I feel like as soon as you coexist those two universes you have some weird tone stuff. <laughs> Let's move on then from Constantine. We won't speak no f- no further ill of the dead, <laughs> and we'll move over to our friends at the CW, uh, where we have the Flash premiering this this year and we have arrow coming back for a third season let's start with uh let's start with the the incumbent and talk about arrow now guy and dan you guys talked about arrow all year uh how do you how do you let's start with you how do you feel about this um this season of arrow take it away sammy um sadly Dis- disjointed, I think, is is one of the biggest problems with it, which is that it, it had very unclear through lines in terms of where it was going to go. And every few episodes seemed like we're going to go in a totally different direction now. Um, but I think the biggest problem that we identified and talked about a lot is that we have 
coming off a year with a great villain in Slade Wilson, um, we we get instead Rachel Ghoul, who should be this really imposing, creepy figure. But Rachel Ghoul doesn't really seem to have any sort of goals or motivation other than just having a really cool secret organization, um, which made him really difficult to deal with as a character because all he really seemed to care about was like the internal organization of his of his little group of assassins. Like, all right, got to set up a succession plan. <laughs> And, and if you sat him down and be like, what do, Sorry, what do you need to, like what are you doing? Like, where do you see the League of Assassins in five really, years? Really, he just needed like a good estate planner as a lawyer like that. But, but that's not even the issue. The issue is what does the League of Assassins do? It's never made clear. We spend an entire it's season. A league. It's a they, league. They, do, they do the seating and the brackets and then, you know. It's mainly just capture the flag and barbecues. They so they don't softball. Yeah. They also kill people occasionally, but that's more of a side project. Well, just to, the, to pay for the barbecues, yeah. Jason. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I think that there are a lot of great moments. There are certainly a lot of great. I mean, the mid-season break, which ends with Oliver getting stabbed and falling off a cliff, even though you were pretty sure that he was coming back, was still really well done. I especially liked Stephen Amell's tweet after that. Well, it was, was a good run. Well played. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that um, was good. That was yeah. really for a mid-season finale. It was just like all my girls were just like, oh, my. it is a gasp worthy scene. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, but I, I think that there, the back half of the season just it was it was tricky to get into the heads of the characters. Oliver's sort of double his plan is unclear and kind of changes from moment <laughs> to moment. There's lots of weaknesses in it and, and a lot it's of things that could be involved by the plan. well, the old yeah. it's the old TV problem of like, look, if you just told a few people what your plan was, <laughs> like if you just explained this ahead of time, we put something in writing and sign it, you know, yeah, like that would have really solved a lot of problems and angst. I think for me, like the Rasha Gould character, like I, I wasn't really familiar with him except for, you know, Son of the Demon and, you know, Liam Neeson playing. Liam Neeson, yeah. And, and he was real, you know, like he, like again, that writing explained his purpose a little differently. And it, he felt intimidating that I go through and I sweep out what needs to be swept that no one else will do. But, you know, this Raz. Eh, not so much. And when, you know, we talk a lot, Guy and I and, and John Moltz talked a lot about, you know, the Rachel Gould and other forms, including the comic books and the Batman animated series, which is a, a even even that is a better version yeah, of Rachel the, the eco-terrorist version of the, the League of Assassins, right? Right. That there is like, again, this sort of like global conflict, right, that they've partaken. But this this League of Assassins is kind of toothless. And uh, they there's a lot of time traveling back and forth to Nanda Parbat via some magical super subway that goes through the middle of the earth or something. It only takes 20 minutes. Everything takes 20 minutes from Star City, though, because they're always bopping back to that island where nobody thought to look for Oliver for five years. And yeah. it's it's that's one of the perpetual mysteries on that show. They got fast jets. Good it's trans- like magic Good public jets. transit. OK, Starling City has a lot of infrastructure problems, especially after they lost a whole section of the city due to earthquake. But great public transit. Let me yeah. tell you. Guy, yeah. guy, what's your uh, what's your take on on uh, Arrow season three? What do you think? Yeah, they, they blew it. <laughs> guys more succinct than me at the end of season two when i heard that rush al was going to be on it i was worried because i thought that was biting off a lot um also it seemed like there was more interesting things to do with the character um at the beginning of the season i had high hopes well they they, they killed sarah which really upset me because she i, I love that character and i like that actress a lot and she has a big role at the end of Mad Men too so that was like, whoa, that kind of shocked me. I thought that, you know, 
by the end of season two, I had placed a lot of faith in the writers. By the end of season three, that faith has been shaken quite a bit. Um, and I don't know how much of it is that uh, maybe the showrunners were uh, focused on the, launching The Flash, which we'll talk about, but they did a tremendous job on. Or, I, I, you know, I don't know. They were trying to outdo the Slade Wilson plot by being even more Slady Wilson-y. I don't, <laughs> I don't really get what they were doing. We did see the show shake up a lot. Um, in characters coming and going. And I think we're set up for the next season. I mean, the next season has to be lighter. It just has to be. There's no way it can't be like darker than that. So um, how about Brandon? How about Brandon Ruff as Ray Palmer? Any thoughts love about him? him. I, I love him. I, li- I really liked him as Superman. I think. If I did too. Yep. Yeah. I, I think of anything, the, the lack, I mean, the, the, the story of that or of Superman returns kind of blew it for him. Cause I thought he did a tremendous job of Superman. And I liked him. I, I liked him on Chuck too. I think he does a great yep, job. Yep, and he's he's got great comedic timing and he's he's awesome. He was refreshing in this season too, with which is so dour at points that he was kind of the bright like lifeline. He's, right? <laughs> he's kind of the Ralph Bellamy of modern of modern filmmaking where Ralph Bellamy was the the, the, the Baxter, as it were, like the charming, perfectly nice guy that the heroine always throws over for somebody who's just patently a bad idea. And the thing I really like about Brandon Ralph is he basically owns it at this point. And I, I think being kind of a self-conscious, dorky Baxter works for him. And I loved him on, on The Flash. When when they announced Arrow. that the, yeah, when they announced that the Adam was going to be on The Flash, I was like, uh, sorry, on Arrow, I was like, that can't possibly work. That makes no sense at all. And thank goodness he was there because... He was like a mirror image version of Tony Stark, like when you think about it, because they're both billionaire geniuses. There's no mirror. That, it's just a clone. He's like a carbon copy. No, except that Tony Stark has has play with the ladies. He's got chill. And, okay, um, yeah, you sure. know, Ray Palmer has no chill. <laughs> He's a big dork with a. He's seen, you know, every episode of uh, Doctor Who. That's what he's got going for him. Because <laughs> this season, they even made Felicity kind of really sad most of the time. Yeah, that's no like, good. I mean, don't. I, I I gotta say, I was not a fan of. Um, so I, I've always thought this show had a Dinah problem, and they actually fixed the Dinah problem this season. And I love where her character ended up. I thought it was phenomenal the way they character the, the way they worked on her character this year. I. I am in the minority in believing that they plausibly evolved this woman who had a lot of anger and not a lot of direction for it into somebody who does end up being besties with her sister's ex-girlfriend and becomes a much more (laughs) effective vigilante. And I liked the estrangement between her and her dad because that reads as really true. These are just two people who who, who used to be able to count on each other, and it was a huge betrayal, and I loved it. Um, I, I, I tend to agree. I, 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 that said, I don't like what they did with Felicity because it feels no. like, like the secret origin story, first of all, dressing up that actress like a goth is just a mistake. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. I, I feel like they, they tried to – Jump the shark? Well, it feels like they're like, okay, we, 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 <laughs> have, to make, we have to make her worthy of this billionaire – archer vigilante kung fu fighter assassin dude so let's all of a sudden make her quasi quasi wealthy courtesy of her job and give her a bunch of promotions and now she owns a company and um she already was by virtue of being awesome well she was awesome yeah but yeah so yeah you don't you don't need all the other stuff i i think i think and i think i actually may have said this on a flashcast like 
logically speaking, Oliver is the guy she might have had fun with for about six months, but I really feel like she would have been better off with Ray. And it would not have hurt if the show had gone that direction. So for it to go in a completely different direction where, oh, the Felicity is the thing that saves Oliver and she's she's his happy ending at the end of the season and she's his reward and true love mm. overall, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, yeah, but not who knows? We may it. get there. We, we may, yeah. like, maybe season three will be like, you know, Ollie's just drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He busts up with a girl of his dreams oh. and he's just drinking and shooting, not Curry shooting Palmer straight. Show. No, this 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 season did right by Dinah, in my opinion. This season also did right by Thea. And yeah. like the yeah. greatest thing they did for her this season, in my opinion, was people stopped lying to her and she got her own power. Cause like at, at the end of last season, it's so clear the reason she runs off with Malcolm Merlin is she's like, Holy crap, my, my city's been taken over by bioengineered assassin dudes and then and then, oh, God, it's like the greatest thing. I'm her father. Thwing! With the arrows, and he takes her away. And it's so obvious why Thea runs away. And this whole season was about her coming back and, and forcing people to be honest with her and owning her power and owning her responsibility. And they finally did right by her. Oh, yeah, definitely. And one, one of the things that we say, and one of the reasons that I wanted to, that I was excited to talk to to flashy flash, flash, flashcast gang, <laughs> yeah. uh, is that this was a weak season of The Arrow, but I do think that Arrow... Um, has less of a, a problem with women characters than the Flash does, I despite think the right. fact that I actually yeah. think the Flash has been a more cohesive show this season. Uh, their characters have been a little bit on the mm-hmm. on yeah. The we've we've talked about that side, a lot right? in the Flash. I know, I know. I listened actually, to all yeah. your episodes. So yeah, <laughs> the most interesting thing that they've done with Arrow this season in setting up for next season is the total, basically, abolishment of the secret identity, which is to say everybody else on the show now knows that Oliver Queen is the Arrow. The Arrow is basically dead for all of, uh, intents Greg and purposes. Greg Berlanti doesn't like secret identity. And, and that's smart because that that's tropes people. I mean, like anybody who watched more than a season of Lois and Clark got really yeah. tired yeah. of the secret it's identity. Trope, right? oh, um, and, and it just, it's, it's refreshing to not have to deal with that, even though it can lend itself to dramatic irony at certain points. I feel like that's a road that so many superhero shows have been down. I'm really glad that the Flash doesn't spend too much time on it, with the exception of Iris, which we'll get into, I'm sure. But the mm-hmm. the fact that Arrow <laughs> did this year spend all like basically reveal that to every last remaining character right. is is a really solid mark in its favor because it sort of takes all right, we've done that, we're moving on from there, and I think that's that's an interesting place to go setting up for the next season. There are innumerable strong women on Arrow. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly not the case on Flash. Yeah, I agree. Even the bad guys in, in Arrow, even though the bad guys did. Um, well, there's, there's Nyssa from season two. There's yep. um, Cupid. Well, okay, Cupid. Well, that was kind of flat. Um, oh, God, it was hilarious when she's talking about her wedding plans. <laughs> yes. That, yeah, yeah she's, she's fun. But uh, yeah. I'm talking about um, the woman who was on uh, Firefly. Oh. Uh... Oh, God, her. Summer Glow, that one. Summer Glow, exactly. Oh, yes. Is it um, no? But even like that, they even bothered making a rationale. Uh, it was a kind of a nutty rationale, but like a rationale for her to be a bad guy. Um, you could go like Moira Queen. Like, I there's loved so many Moira fully, Queen There's so, so many much. fully realized women characters. I, lo- I kind of love the could, Huntress. She's the Huntress? messed up because yeah. of her dad being a criminal, yeah. but yeah, still. She has, yeah. yeah, but she's got every, she's just as crazy as Ollie. Yep. 
Yeah. She should come back. She should be like, and I want you to meet my boyfriend. The question. I would watch yeah. that episode. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I want to see the question so much. So I have to say, as a and this is a kind of Flash Arrow crossover point here. First off, I'll say I started watching Arrow because of the because of the Flash crossover. I was like, oh, because mm. I'd only watched yes. the pilot and I just never continued watching. And I saw the first crossover episode. So, I mean, yeah, I played into their trap there, right? Which is, hey, you're watching the Flash, but, you know, we got this other show. You should probably watch that. And first so taste th- is free. It totally, totally worked. Um, but I, as I watched the Flash and and we and we have the problem with the the women characters on the Flash, I, and and we have the I'll say it I actually think fantastic chemistry between uh, Felicity and Barry on the Flash. Yeah. I keep thinking yeah, exactly. I, I keep thinking yeah. they should one. It makes everything else on the Flash kind of pale in comparison. And two, can we? I know it would be bad for Arrow, but can we just import that character into the Flash because <laughs> yeah. she's great on the Flash. She's good. Yes. She's really great on Arrow, but she has better chemistry with everybody. So have I told you guys my tin hat theory no. about Felicity and her dad? No. What? Okay, so my tin hat theory on Felicity and her dad, and this was actually born out in an episode of The Flash this year. The writers are on the record saying, oh, Felicity's dad is a big deal, and um, you know, you'll be shocked once you find out and explains a lot about Felicity. I think she's. I think she was fathered by Yobar Thawne. Wow, that is no. a tinfoil hat conspiracy. <laughs> wow, I this love is, it. We've, we've entered Tony's conspiracy corner, which oh, is a man, in the corner. It's, it's great. Uh, oh, Flash, Tony. I, I, guys, I, guess, I got to draw a diagram. Hold on. Okay. Oh. okay, we can do anything we want. We went through a wormhole. Uh... How old is she? That might not work the out. The corner is taking up an increasingly large part of Tony's basement at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's, he's, it's a tesseract, really, at this point. <laughs> anyway, that was that was quite a find, having watched, knowing that she was going to be a main character and watching the first season of Arrow and seeing how it kind of came to be. It's like, well, I will give them a lot of credit in finding that actress and finding that character and saying, oh, my God. Uh, let's just more of her, please, because she is she is. There are episodes in both of the first two seasons of Arrow where I where like the number one reason I keep watching is because I just can't wait to see Felicity um, embarrass herself by saying something and then regretting it because she knows she's really smart but she can't get the words out. Just love, just love that, love that character, love that actress. So yeah, no, she she was only supposed to be on like once too. That was yeah. just good job for whoever did that. And yeah, she had crazy chemistry with. With um, Grant Gustin, and she's got crazy chemistry with Brandon Routh, too. My understanding is that that was a network note. Like, yeah. they saw the episode, and they're like, uh, more of that blonde lady. Which is good, because oh, good uh, call. the, the uh, Oliver Laurel uh, chemistry on that show has always Going been nowhere. one of its weaker parts. Well, in yeah. fact, it's been much better between the two of them since they became more, like, friends and colleagues than when they were love interests, which never really worked. No, it was impossible. Yeah. This is the problem I have with The Flash, too, is that I'm not sure I really buy the whole Barry Allen Iris West well, and 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 this thing. is the thing I was saying earlier with Gotham is again I think we should be careful about saying that these things have to happen either because they've been predicted in a future newspaper or because they happen <laughs> in the comic book universe. Is that future like, newspaper? Guess what? This yeah, is a right. totally different version of the media like franchise. Do whatever you want. Don't feel bound by having to stick to how those characters end up in the comic book. That's what I'm encouraged by about about Felicity yeah, on Arrow exactly. is that it's like no no let's just let's just go with that because that works that's working a lot better. Uh, the problem with having Felicity on the Flash is she does have that great chemistry with Grant. Gustin and it um it it really makes it hard to sell other characters and Barry mm-hmm. Allen because you're like I've seen him with her so forget the, this other lady over here yeah 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 they grew up together whatever it's it's just a dangerous game when you have something like that and you've imported her from another show and she's got to go back there because then you're like oh um you know but we saw that we saw that how great that was and this is not working for that yeah but that's her problem is that she gets along with everybody 
And like, like she, she's such a great actress. Well, Felicity, just, they just needed to have make a call. Felicity, nope, they can't do that. There's already mm-hmm. a show that was called that. Um, but if we shift gears to to the Flash a little bit, um, you know, I I can complain about some things in the Flash, and I know on the Flashcast you guys have, and and quite rightly so. And yet, it is so much fun. And it Grant is. Gust, Grant Gustin mm-hmm. is so likable, and the the as Lisa likes to say, his three dads. Uh, yes. where, where you get Tom Cavanaugh, who is great as science dad. You got Jesse L. Martin, who brings gravitas to a what would otherwise be kind of a silly uh, yeah. set set of plot lines. He really brings the adult supervision in a way that's so great. And then John Wesley Ship stunt cast because he was the Flash in the nineties. Um, actually does a great job in in his stuff yeah. as Barry's real dad who's in prison. Prison dad. So the science dad, prison dad, police dad. And uh, and I'll also throw in that the other stunt casting where they cast, um, well, they cast Mark Hamill, uh, mm-hmm. b- bringing him back to the character he played on the uh, 90s Flash show. And he did a great job and was a lot of fun. And they had uh, Amanda Pace Amanda come Pace. back. And actually, I, I had several moments where I thought that she, maybe maybe they were setting her up to be the replacement for Dr. Wells next season because uh, she was like science mm-hmm. lady from the rival science lab. But, you know, right. it all all of that stuff worked. And there's no way that it should have all worked like that. But it yeah. just... So so it made it a pleasure. So even though there can be quibbles, I just it was so much fun to watch that show this year. It's start to finish. So much fun. Well, Matt, as speaking of future newspapers, the, <laughs> the first thought that came into everyone's head in this house was, there's still going to be newspapers then? I, I don't believe that. <laughs> it, it could be like a web page. They kind of like try to fuzz it it's out. It's distributed via newsstand. Yeah. Cool. yeah. It's, it's just it's listicles that they print out and throw out onto the streets. Yeah. 25 <laughs> reasons the flash has disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> You'll as be shocked. By, as expressed by Lieber photos and yeah. Tumblr posts. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't looking to add another show to the weekly thing. And this was a show that, you know, it's it's not even that, that we put it off. It's like Tuesday at 8. Boom. We're sitting there and watching Absolutely. It. And, and my 10-year-old fell in love with it. I, right. I haven't seen him go bananas for a show like that in a long time. And... He was really with it. And he loved it. And he, you know, he was watching it. And he was the one who was like, it's 7.59. Change the channel. Come on. Until we got confirmation that, that Wells was really the reverse Flash. And he immediately rejected that. And I was like, no. Because he loved Tom Cavanaugh. And because Science Dad was so cool. And Science Dad was really supportive. And Science Dad was wonderful. And, and that's not Science Dad. Science Dad wouldn't do that. And... You know, the now they say he's going to be a regular cast member next year. Right. And I hope that means that he's going to be the real Harrison Wells now mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's so good at that. And, you know, I kind of want to show my kids Ed now because they really enjoyed him. As, as creepy as the concept of Ed was. Yeah, thank as I you. I was about I'm a lawyer. Answer. I own a bowling alley. Two separate things. And and I'm stalking <laughs> this girl from high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then she marries me. From Modern Family, sure. A little weird, but but he was just so charming, you know. It, yeah, it no, somehow so great. And and so this it sort of carried over into this. And I mean, I on the one hand, I really liked the idea that oh, Tom Cavanaugh turns out to be the big bad. That's really cool. But at the same time, watching watching him and his reaction, uh, you know, it sort of made me think. You know, he's really, he really likes this mentor character. And and you've done a really clever twist of making the mentor the, the bad guy. But what is it going to do to the little fan who just immediately rejects your show out of hand because a mentor wouldn't do that? You know, it's an interesting story, but 
at the same time, you know, I, I kind of see it from his point of view, too. It's like, well, it would have been nice if there'd been another twist, that it wasn't really him or that it was somebody else. Or I don't know, you know. I'd say that's an effective show, though, to make you sad about a character yes. doing mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because I'm not 10. That's it, the job. I, well, also... <laughs> Yeah, because really you're not ten. Really this not. is true. Strong point. And also, <laughs> I do. I do wonder sometimes if it would have what the effect would have been if it hadn't been revealed in the end of the pilot that right. he has a secret lair with a future newspaper in it, and instead we were left to just assume throughout that he that it, he had nothing to do with it. Would we have caught on? Would it have been a real shock? Would we have not believed it? And that's why they had to really tell to show us that because otherwise we would feel like, whoa, you didn't set that up at all. I don't know, but it was it was great to watch Tom Cavanaugh the whole season and feel his legitimate you know feelings toward his charges while also having this whole other agenda. I mean, I speculated wildly that there there were two reverse flashes, right? And there had to be like a good one and a, and a bad one because I, well, you know, because I was hesitant to believe that he was so you know. Dr. Wells. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, we were, we, we had all sorts of crazy theories about how this was going to work for, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of liked the idea that he had the access to the future technology and the future news, whatever it is and, and all this, but I kind of wanted him to be Wally West and have some kind of future, you know, that's, that's mm. how he mm-hmm. comes from the future. Alas, but, he's clearly Jay Garrick. If the finale indicates well, anything. that I, I just loved <laughs> that, that, that moment of the helmet coming up. Go, oh, oh, gotta go. go. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that is my cue. I yelped audibly. Yeah, yes, happened. same here. I had to explain why I yelped because every I did not have to. I had I did not have to explain myself to anyone. Yeah, well, I, I was mm-hmm. I was alone. <laughs> you guys, you guys seem to think that he thought that Jay Garrick was coming for him. I just took it as like some like some sign. Of some the, event in the future, the universe as, is breaking down, or something, something mm. like that. Because I mean, why would if Jay Garrick was coming to kick his ass, why would he throw his helmet through the time thing first, rather than just show up and beat the crap out of him? I, I think it was maybe just a, a a memory of one of the many different timelines that he's gone down and yeah. fought all these different flashes, and it's just mm-hmm. like that's not a good sign. If I'm oh, seeing that's that. that's the way I took it, right? It's yeah. Right, like the, yeah. the walls are breaking down, or there's a rip in the universe. Yeah, either like either that. he's yeah. been there before, where he's seen that helmet fly off into a time loop. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, this is not going to end up and, well." And yeah. I assumed, I assumed that the end of the the season, the, the, the season finale, which I enjoyed a lot, and mm-hmm. and I, yes. I enjoyed that they amped up the tension, and that also they spent most of the running time dealing with characters and not with yeah, cataclysmic that. plot that, yeah. things. That was bold. Absolutely. I assumed it would end, though, as I think most of us did, or many of us did, with him saving his mom and discovering that the future is not what he expected, dun, 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 and having it be like a flashpointy kind of thing. But his, but he pre- he prevented himself from doing it. Was the great and surprising. Yeah. Thing. So that was super surprising. I loved that touch. That was a super interesting move because how does, yeah, how, has that already happened? Has he, yeah, he knew he was going to stop himself. I don't know. Then you start getting. Well, yeah, well, because that, that's future Barry and future uh, reverse flash coming mm-hmm. backward yep. who are fighting there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that also suggests that other than the fact that he's been erased from history, which kind of complicates this whole thing, you, you, you could kill uh Eobard Thawne and still have him appear in the show because he wouldn't have yet gone further back. Um but who knows? Time travel, man, they could so, really do well, wave your hands. So my my theory on this is that um Eobard Thawne puts A, he kidnaps Eddie and he basically just tells him that he's useless. <laughs> yes. And I think that the only reason for that is that that Eddie's body gets sucked up into the time loop and ends up becoming either Eobard's direct father or like that that's how things work out yeah 
is yeah. that he did not get erased from the time thing. From no, the, no, because he can't have because there's too much causal. That, that would undo everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but he but the timeline changes in a way that lets us keep Tom Cavanaugh on the show and still have perhaps mm-hmm. the actor who played Eddie comes back and now he's he's the Reverse Flash or something and like that. that. Will or break yeah. my heart. Oh yeah. my he's god, he's the bad guy. He Golden has Retriever. to be. You, yeah, yeah, it's a golden retriever with like Richard rabies. Yeah. Yes. Oh. oh, this is so sad. It's like Cujo, except with people. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> makes me sad. <laughs> what I really liked about The Flash is that it felt like, even after this first season, like that th- this show has been going on way longer than one oh, season. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a well, testament to how well they, they really threw everything in, right? Like they and and they did a good job of making, like, you know, again, Arrow is always stuck to this very idea of like, we're kind of going to be and up until this season, like we're going to be like realistic, right? Like everything in this universe is kind of explainable. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Flash just was like, nope. We're Psychic Gorilla, go. eat it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> season one, man. Season one, psychic gorilla, and just like uh, people with superpowers, crazy stuff. Well, Ruth Miller rolls back onto yeah. my TV. Woo! <laughs> so, and I, I like that. I like they're wholeheartedly, unabashedly embrace the whole like superhero genre in a way. I think that we can all agree tonally is like possibly superior to book. any other yeah. comic book show on TV. It's the closest to comic books that you've that I've seen in like. Uh, video media dan slot the the writer of spider-man for many years now uh so competing company to dc and the flash uh tw- tweeted back in december and I, I i actually called this up on on uh, twitter search right now but i remember seeing it at the time he said if you love superheroes watch the flash it's the show we always wanted place it straight looks great well written no camp lots of heart no added grit the flash is straight on unapologetic live action superhero show and i think he's totally mm-hmm. right it's like mm-hmm. it has the spirit of a superhero comic book in a way that we have rarely if ever seen on television yeah or the movies. Or the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the episodic nature of it makes it feel more like a comic, comic right? Right, true. Yeah. But it's got one of the most nuanced takes on family relations you'll ever see, like, yeah. which is kind of ironic because so much of Arrow is about, you know, parents who do terrible things because they love their kids so much or parents who give their children terrible burdens to carry because there's a family business or there's a family vendetta or whatever. But, you know, when I was watching the last few episodes of The Flash, it really hit me that this whole series is has always been about um, – the different ways you can be a good or a bad parent to your kids sometimes at the same time. And it was just such an extraordinarily subtle and compassionate and, and, and intelligently done examination of families. I, I was like, Whoa, this, they snuck this right in underneath the gorilla. How? There's not a lot of room under yeah. that gorilla, but they did. I, th- there are a few cases where, um, I, I feel like uh, we've we found very uh, talented television creators who grew up on this sort of uh, material and have a and and yet are very talented as as writers and 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 creating dramatic television and have synthesized them together in ways that we should feel really fortunate um, that they did it. And I feel like The Flash is an example of that. Uh, when Russell T Davis brought back Doctor Who and he brought all the things that were that that people loved about the original, but applied that whole other level of the characters and like what do the companions' families feel and things like that that had just not ever been considered and and i would say the only thing that i would say was even close to this in, in terms of a tv superhero show is my favorite show of all time buffy which is essentially joss whedon telling a spider-man story except switching out all the tropes for horror tropes instead mm-hmm. and making the character a girl instead of a boy 
And the sneaky thing I think that the CW, you know, the sort of DC comics on CW thing does is like you've kind of got the Flash and Arrow as a Superman, Batman analog without using those characters. Right. But you have the Flash and Superman both powered, both very much like good, straightforward heroes, Uh Arrow and Batman, both sort of the vigilantes, slightly darker. And and it lets you tell all those stories, but in more interesting fashion without being burned down exactly by all of the you know, decades and decades of baggage for these really, really popular characters. And so it's refreshing to see this take on like, you know, sort of a fresh take on what these like tried and true superhero, you know, they're not exactly cliches, but archetypes, you know, are. And, and I really, the, Boy Scout and the goth that. kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one, one of the things comparing the flash to the, to Superman also in terms of, you know, just being a good, pure heroic kind of guy. I mean, that's part of why, the, the kids both figured out that he wasn't going to save his mother in the finale because, A, it wouldn't have made him the Flash. But the the thing that I liked was that he realizes that if he if he saves her, he's not going to be the Flash. And and this this is a greater calling for him. And, and it's that – that's the thing I hated about Man of Steel. It's the thing I hate about the movies that DC's putting out is that they don't let their heroes just be heroes. You know, right. They're, they're just good. It's okay. And, you know, you can have Batman. You can have these other things. But Superman is just good. He He's brought up that way. And, oh, Man of Steel still pisses me off. But but the Flash <laughs> is the same way, you know. And, and they get it right in this, that he's just good, right? And he was brought up by these really good mentors and parents. And, and you know, and, and that's... Part of the whole reason we have these as archetypes and, and as, as heroes to aspire to is that we want to be good like them. We don't need to see them struggle to learn to be good. It's okay if they're good. Well, uh, the um, the Oliver Berry relationship, I thought, was very strong because you finally get somebody who who you can sort of say is, you know, they're peers in the sense that they both have shows, <laughs> but they don't know that. <laughs> they do the TV guide. But, but Oliver being – we've seen Oliver – uh, come back from the island and, you know, three seasons of, of that. Well, he meets Barry after two seasons of his own show, or a season mm-hmm. and a half, right? Because Barry yeah. shows up in the middle yeah. of season two of Arrow. Uh, but Oliver is, is is like the mentor, and Barry is this young, impressionable kid. And I love that dynamic. I love that mm-hmm. he that Oliver brings in a, or brings uh, experience and and like the rules of the road of being a hero, and Barry brings this innocence and idealism yeah. that... Ah, yeah. And heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it's, is the, the funny part where where Ollie gives him relationship advice and he's like, trust us, we never get the girl. Smash cut to Ollie and Felicity driving in a, you know, yeah. in, in their Corvette <laughs> into the sunset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, trust me, Barry, don't even try. I think, I think it's good for Oliver to know that someone who is as unconditionally good as Barry thinks he's worth having his back for. I think it helps reinforce Oliver's own shaky sense of his morality and his own worth. Because yes. right. that was the thing that I actually thought was interesting about some of the Oliver Queen direction this season is he's always been somebody who's let other people tell him what his values are and what his value to other people is. And, um, you know, he's not somebody who who's, who has this, this strong internal scaffolding in terms of morality or sense of self. And to have Barry give him this this huge vote of confidence is something that Oliver needs, whether or not he'll actually admit that. And to me, that's one of the beautiful things about their relationship is, uh, is, is, is Barry lends him the moral fiber that he needs. And in turn, he takes all the experience he has and reminds Barry that it is not enough for you to be faster than the other guy. Cause, cause speed is only one thing. You have to know how to fight. You have to know how to anticipate things. And, and 
you know, it's 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 a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Yeah. How many how many people did Oliver have to murder before he decided that murder might be bad? <laughs> a season a lot. Look, he's a C student, man. It takes him a while to pick up concepts. He needs flashcards. Uh. Dead people don't have flashcards. <laughs> Ollie also knows that Barry isn't like him and, and kind mm-hmm. of reinforces that fact and says, like, yeah. you know, essentially is telling him, don't be like me. Right. You know, you are a good yeah. person. You are this hero. Just go and do that because that's who you are. Don't follow my path because my path is crazy. And, and that, <laughs> yeah. is, that is important. That is important. He tells him at one point that he is, is not well adjusted. Right. Like, you know, that's yeah. that is relevant. <laughs> Also, I so loved I loved when Barry just came and just took Nanda Parbat off the map. Like, <laughs> I just could kill just, all of the League of Assassins. <laughs> well, he's running around it like well, I suppose a little bit less than Mach Two at that point. But yeah. holy cow, he basically just murders all the assassins. Well, well, not murders. You have a well, hot tub. Cool. Just pops him on the head. I love <laughs> the way he loves the hot tub. Like he doesn't know that it resurrects you from life. Or and and this is why the League of Assassins fails. It has no yeah. mission. Hey, Flash, I think I might need a, a favor, you know, maybe like tomorrow, like eight, yeah. nine central. Can you be there? <laughs> sure, whatever. I'm okay. super excited about the old school dungeon. I'll, yeah. I'll start stretching. <laughs> I'll pop a little hole in the time continuum. Yeah. Reverse Flash needs to, like a 24 hour nap. I, I got time. Sure. So. Speaking, by the way, of uh, of uh, of the contrast between the lightness of, of the Flash and the darkness of Arrow, we should move on and talk briefly about the darkness of Daredevil. Okay, I've only seen like five episodes, so I can only contribute five episodes. Yeah, but I, I've only got about six or seven at this point. But you're all cut. I was, yeah, <laughs> I know we're all. Oh, we're all, Vincent D'onofrio is taking my breath away, though. Oh my god, of course he's he so is. Good. Of course he, will he is. He will continue happening. to do so. And and also Charlie Cox is exactly who I never realized he was the Matt Murdock I wanted or needed. I know. But... <laughs> yep. I really like Charlie Cox a lot. Yeah, he's really good. A lot. No, I mean, he's and, he's no Affleck, but. Well, you get, yeah. Thank goodness. Out. Out. Stop. That kind of stuff will get you hurt in a bad way. I will not have it. Bose has a shank and he'll use Actually, it. Actually, if you ever want to make a Bostonian really angry, what you do is you ask them with a straight face if the inevitable Ben Affleck statue is going to come with or without Daredevil costume. Yeah. You know, we have, a, we, have a system, we have a system here in Boston where we take our most unwanted people and export them to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, oh, you keep saying that. You keep telling yourself that. I, I also I want to throw in um, Bonnie Curtis Hall and uh, Rosario Dawson, who were also yes, really, they were really good so in, in Daredevil. This, I, I, my, I don't know what my expectations for the Daredevil TV show wa- was. I thought, well, that's a Netflix show that I, I will actually watch. Sure, let's <laughs> let's give it a shot. But I was not expecting what I got, which was n- not the tone of uh, most of the other Marvel stuff. That it, it is a much more serious, violent uh, thing. And uh, but but uh, really well done. Just like really really well done. I, I was again well, along with the Flash, just an incredible. Incredible uh, surprise of the last nine months. I love the reference to the Avengers stuff, where they're where they're like, well, every time one of those guys tosses somebody through a building, there goes the real estate market. And it's really nice to hear that you know, while the Avengers are busy recreating the Team America sequence over in Sokovia, <laughs> uh, you know, people in Manhattan, excuse me, people in New York City are like, well, we are still picking bits of Alien Grid out of uh, our windows, and here we go. <laughs> 
you know, yeah, I, there, there are I, consequences, I like right? Like that yes. is, I agree that that is, yeah. and it's a brilliant setup for a villain to give him an idea, to give him a motivation that, you know, as we, we talked about, I think on some of the daredevil podcasts, you know, every great villain is the hero of their own story. And so, you know, you know, Wilson Fisk in this case is really has a good, he, at heart, he has a good idea. He yeah. he's accomplishing it through some really really awful manners, and and perhaps his motives are not entirely pure. But he has he has a goal, and he has a vision, right? And that and that is something that makes him so so eminently watchable is the fact that he's set out to do something, not merely to be a cartoon villain or to oppose a hero, but like he has a plan and he is working towards those ends. He has genuine beliefs. It's amazing. Right, exactly. It's just. I like how they're making him so rich and and so fully um fully Fleshed. featured. And f- yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> like don't get me wrong, like on Arrow, Malcolm Merlin is one of my favorite characters, mostly because John Barrowman He's a cartoon. Yes, well, he's yeah. a cartoon. Yeah, John Barrowman. Yeah, John Barrowman basically plays him as like a living cartoon figure and it's hilarious and great. It's great. And I love it. But on this show, what show. I what I really like is how everybody has nuance. Um even Foggy, like we're getting into, you know, the 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 complicated so far we're getting to a few of the complicated shades of the relationship he has with matt where it's not all i'm just here as a sidekick um you know he's he's pretty aware of uh the glaring inequalities in their character and in their talents and um he's having a hard time reconciling himself to that and i think that's going to be super interesting to watch too and i like that they're carefully laying down all of this all of the stuff so early on like it's some of the stuff is super gory like i really had a hard time with the knife made from someone's rib (laughs) ah the (laughs) russians so yeah. how do you feel about car doors it's, lisa yeah yeah hold oh on to your God. head especially yeah, the top no. half oh yeah no, I, saw, I saw that and i was like oh Smoosh. my gosh yeah I, I was just like oh my gosh this, this this is netflix whoa but like what i also love about it is how it takes place after like one of the most excruciatingly awkward first dates and what i really love is when the russian crashes that date and like everyone in the restaurant stands up and you're like oh my god fist completely packed this restaurant with enforcers and he's trying to play it cool and it was so <laughs> I, it's just great. Yeah. Jason. Mose. Yeah. When, you know, cause really this kind of started for me when you and, and Tim Goodman were talking about it yep. and you know, the preconceived notion was that it was blood porn. Yeah. Tim, that's, what Tim, of, that's what Tim called it. He, he thought that the Stephen mm-hmm. tonight coming off of uh, Spartacus was, you know, putting in like lots of, uh, lots of fights and showing lots of blood and like people, people like, that kind of show and and he kind of wrote it off and and didn't buy that he was dodging all those bullets and all of that which uh i i found effective in lowering my expectations going in and then being quite pleasantly surprised yeah Hmm. well i mean and so now you would say it's it's way it it, your your needle kind of swung the other way oh yeah i mean when when we were talking about i hadn't seen it yet i was taking Mm -hmm. his word for it no i i think it's good i think it's really good um i know i like it a lot i'm really enjoying it I, I like it more than Tim did, but I think I'm still closer to Tim. It's, I mean, it's fine. It's well done. It's just not my kind of my cup of tea. Well, you can't wear, you can't watch it with the kids. No, well, you, def- too, but- you definitely can't. And and I can't, wa- I can't binge watch it. Honestly, I can't watch more than one at a yeah. time. I just that's why I, that's why I'm only eight or nine in is because I, can I just two. can't yeah. I just can't yeah violence I've been totally inured to violence thanks to my great <laughs> my upbringing on video games and violent <laughs> movies so I watched like four at a time this is your competitive advantage <laughs> the future of America everybody <laughs> Jason is seeing it in 4K so I am oh mm. well so yeah the blood is that's extra more there's more K's in the blood yeah <laughs> there's a lot of blood K's yeah <laughs> lots of K's in the blood. 
Mm. But it's 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 really good, and I, I I I was also just a little skeptical of um, they're like, oh yeah, we're gonna do some shows on Netflix, and they're gonna be four of them, and they're gonna kind of be interlinked together. And I thought, okay, well we'll see, but it, it just seemed so nebulous and weird, and like, are these gonna be crappy? Are these gonna be cheap? And if Dev- Daredevil is any indication, uh, no, they're actually the I, now the bar has been raised for me, where I yeah. I'm gonna expect a lot more. For and it, Luke Cage, Luke Cage and, Iron and, Fist Jessica and Jessica Jones, yes. yeah. it will be it will be interesting because a lot of those are much more special effects heavy in terms of I feel like those characters. I mean, Iron Fist, like there's certainly martial arts is a part of it. Punches guys, yeah, but there's a lot of like there's mystical spiritual stuff going yeah, on there. Yeah, and it's it depends like, on how first they all, it. Yeah, but you got to differentiate it from Daredevil, right? Because it can't just be another guy running around punching people. Punching well. This one can see, so that's only this better. one doesn't have like a big <laughs> he, black thing over his face. He's got yeah. kung fu though. Yeah, mm-hmm. kung fu—you can do anything you want. Look, we saw we saw you know Madame Gao do a one-inch punch. So having yeah, you, Iron I mean that's Fist the thing with it. Iron Fist though. It could be it could be all back alleys, or it could be like surprise. We're at a mystical city, and I'm like chatting with the dragon. You know, yeah. My guess is it's going to be street level Iron uh, Fist. It seems like probably there's not going to be as many like conference calls with dragons. But although, I can hope. Although again, if you don't you want know, them all to be tonally identical, right? You don't right, want right, another yes. Daredevil. You want Iron Fist to have a different story, and Luke Cage to have a different. You don't story. want Iron Fist to just be the Daredevil like four blocks over. Like yeah. that's not a very compelling story. <laughs> no, <laughs> Hell's Kitchen needs a lot of superheroes, guys. <laughs> they they cross in an alley. There's a scene where they one of them's running one way and one of them's running the other way. <laughs> And they're like, hey, hey, uh, but and Daredevil uh, also the critical acclaim and people watching it, it, it got it got renewed for a second season, which is funny because the way they had pitched it was really like we're just going to do a season of each of these, not that mm-hmm. th- there would be any hope for more. And they're like, nope, there's going to be more. So that's interesting too. I, and I and I really I could have taken it as just one season and well, said, okay, I, I think I it was am, conceived that way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I mean, and we'll and see the, the defenders. The beauty and, part of it yeah. is that it was that like it was an uh, basically an origin story over you know, 13 episodes. I mean, you know, you can't do that on, you know, quote, regular TV. Right. Yeah. Once again, fewer episodes provides a stronger framework for putting your stories on. Yeah. Well, uh, so they'll follow it up with uh, AKA Jessica Jones. Mm, I can't wait. In the fall. I'm looking forward to that. That's with uh, Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones and David Tennant as Kilgrave, the purple man. <laughs> and, and I believe Luke Cage makes his debut in that as well. I think so. Mm-hmm. I would think so, yeah. Gotta, gotta do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Chris, Kristen Ritter is so funny, too. She's going to be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to the crossover potential for that, too, just because uh, funny is always good. Also, things we have to look forward to this fall, or not, depending on your your inclination. Uh, CBS <laughs> is doing with Greg Berlanti as a, one of the executive producers is doing Supergirl. Uh, they're also adding to the Arrow and Flash universe with DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is a mid season. It starts in January, and Lucifer, which is where we can get that uh, John Constantine comes back and says, "Hey, remember me? I was on the canceled show on NBC." <laughs> so. I think Lucifer is going to stink. Yeah. Yep. I think yeah. Supergirl yep. is going to be fun. And I haven't. Yep. Uh, so the pilot's leaked. I haven't seen it at all. I've, so I'm, I'm only going off the um, the trailer. The trailer. Cut, that's cut from the pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Which seemed fun. Uh, maybe a little too. Um, 
I, I, I'm trying to think of the right adjective here because it's not catering. It's uh, maybe pandering to mm. a Gilmore girl set a little bit, but I don't care. It seems good. <laughs> you so. say that like it's a bad thing. You like the Gilmore girl. I don't think it is a bad thing. I mean, you could say that about Glee, which was, guess what? A huge hit and everybody loved it. And we got a lot of fun actors out of it. So. so- I feel like there's a lot of complaints about the Supergirl trailer, but I mean, the trailer's really just all they have to work with is the pilot. And so they cut it up. And the arc of the pilot, very clearly, if you watch that trailer, is she's in a job she hates and she, you know, she's she her boss is is annoying. And, you know, she she's in this bad situation. And then she, you know, embraces her superpowers and saves a plane and decides she's going to be Supergirl. Yeah, I, I don't I think really ever, the like show's it. not going to yeah. be like that. That's the pilot. And then she's Supergirl after that. So even watching the trailer. You know, it sets up all these sort of, you know, chick flick rom-com cliches. And then right? knocks them all down. And and exactly. Yeah. And everyone complaining about the trailer is focusing on the cliches. And, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, it's going to subvert every one of them. And it's going to make fun of the fact that those are all cliches. And, and I, oh. totally, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. The other thing is, is that all of these cliches are just as true for Clark Kent. Yes. Uh, like... Mm-hmm. Her civilian character being, whose name I forget, uh, Kara, Kara something, yeah, basically being the, like, ugly Betty with the glasses thing. That's Clark Kent. It's Clark Kent. It's the same trope. Like, it... Uh, Jimmy Olsen, James, James, Jimmy James, James, James Olsen James, is her watcher yeah. or whatever. Basically, equivalent. yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> yep. Well, he seems pretty clued into everything, so. I made the joke, Allie McSupergirl, but I think they intentionally put Callista Flockhart in there. To to sort of emphasize that. On also, that, I believe that, that they've also things. cast Helen Slater and Dean Cain because Greg Berlanti likes bringing people back from yeah. like old franchises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's Work cool. for, for, for mm-hmm. Wesley Ship. Mm-hmm. So why not? So DC, I'm, I'm on board. DC's Legends of Tomorrow is the is the spinoff from Arrow and Flash that, that I'm features. I'm so stupid excited about uh, that. Yes, oh me too. Yeah. Yes. It does yes. look super fun. It looks super fun. It looks very Doctor Who-ish to me, like traveling through time well, and, and, they, and, and having adventures. And Rip Hunter. And they get Rory and from Arthur Doctor Who. Yeah. It's he Arthur probably won't die this time. Man. He can die every time, Dan. Time travel. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you and, can do anything you want. Yeah. With time travel and Adam and half a firestorm, uh, um, I still want to know what the deal is going to be with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that it seems to me that they're going to write uh, the other ML out, Robbie ML. Well, it's unclear out. to me. I, I, my theory is that is that he may have a series or a pilot commitment where they can't cast him, or mm. or or they tried to cast him and he won't do it, and so they're going to have some sort of plot contrivance. That that's my theory is something well, something is going. There's a on large there. rumor that there's one character who is like a mystery hero who has not said they've not said anything about him. And the the theories going around the internet are that he is the new other half of Firestorm. Yeah, because there there is a shot of a CGI Firestorm in a fight yes. scene, and I cannot picture Victor Garber flying around <laughs> nope. as a CGI Firestorm. Oh, but that would be awesome. I'd so, accept that. So there may be an episode yeah. of The Flash early next I... or early next season where they where they you know free. Her her husband. Which they got from, married, right? And and, mm-hmm. and yet the firestorm power gets transferred to somebody or something. Who knows? But it looks like a lot of fun. It's like, hey, heroes and villains are going to unite to fight some crazy time travel battles I and all so that. I'm so stupid best excited about Let's just do that. Wentworth Miller. Why would you think a villain would be interested? I, I support this new system where Wentworth Miller is on all the shows I'm going to watch. This is good. <laughs> there is no piece of scenery too big for him to eat, and that is yeah. great. Yeah, no, he. Uh, he's, I've, I've come all the way around on that character. It's like, yep, yeah, yeah. give me more Captain Cold. I'm I'm there for that. And then I really oh, like. Yeah. 
I really like because I mean they wrote this stuff for <laughs> the trailer, but I love the Arthur Darville line where he's like, um, "I'm from London." Oh, and the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the future. Oh, nice. Very I good. just wish you all knew him in high school. That's all I'm saying. We were all different people. In I high think school. we all benefit from not knowing him in high school. And I think you do. As Only Captain through Cold. television. No, Captain. Yeah, yeah exactly. If we hadn't known B.J. Novak in high school, Tony, then you know this might be a very different world. Yeah. See, we we uh we have reached the end, I think. But uh, there's a lot, lot to talk about. Lots of fun. If you like the if you like the superhero comic booky kind of TV shows, now is what a time to be alive is what I'm saying. Uh, so I'd like to thank my participants uh, tonight uh, from the Flashcast. Which are you guys going to do? You going to do any bonus episodes this summer before uh, season two comes in the fall, Lisa? We've we've heard from the people, and they would like us to go. Back and backfill. In back in time. Yes. Yeah, thank so goodness, because we, we gave them the option of backfill or the 90s flash, and they chose wisely. Yeah. They, yeah and <laughs> I want to point out that so far, the, the sentiment has been running about 19 in favor of the, um, like, basically 95% in favor of going having us go and backfill the first 10 episodes, and, and 5% who are like, I would like to see you suffer. So Good, <laughs> Good call, I think. Good call, listeners. That, that 5%, you're on a list now. Yeah, yeah this is a discussion you have with Tony and Phil, so we can figure out the time commitment for this because I, I would love it if we could basically get it up to red when season two starts that would so, be cool we'll so yeah. lisa thank you for being here on this this was so much fun and i got to talk about i got to talk about arrow which is a podcast i've never been invited on so oh. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well wait <laughs> <laughs> guy, this one's I'm on not even. I'm just gonna play for Never mind. That's I'm guy's fault. It's guy's fault yet again. <laughs> it's not like we don't want to talk about the Flash all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Mose, thank you, thank you for being on the Mother Zeppelin too, and thanks for shepherding. Thanks you for shepherding um, uh, the Daredevil uh, rewind as well as being on the Flashcast. Uh, it's been a very, it's been a uh, a treat, an honor, and a privilege. It's a, it's been a lot of fun listening. I enjoyed listening to those podcasts, and it's also a really great for me to listen to incomparable podcasts that I'm not on and that I don't have to edit. That's Yay. awesome. Uh, Tony, thank you as well for being here and for talking about the Flash in your conspiracy corner. That's what it's what I do. Good night, super friends. <laughs> and uh, from the Speedy Arrowcast, two of the three members of the Speedy Arrowcast were here. Dan Morin, thank you as always. Uh, my pleasure. And tune in this summer as we do our recaps of earlier episodes with John Moltz and Lisa Schmeiser. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. And uh, I got kicked out. Also, Guy Ouch. English. Guy English, thank you for being here. I can't kick Guy out. I'm just trying to absorb some harsh news here. But, uh... <laughs> okay, uh, that's good. Bad news. Well, no, it's good news. You don't have to go back and watch uh, season. He's already done that. He's already rewatched it like three times. I'll do it again because it's actually. I I stand by season one. Actually, I really do. He kills a lot of guys though before he says, "My name is Oliver Queen, and I may have killed too many guys." I love the episode with the villain whose strategy is that he brings more henchmen than than the arrow has arrows. That's great. (laughs) So he murders like twenty five guys. He's like, "Count the arrows, Mister Arrow Man, County Guy, Vigilante." County guy, he's in the you know yep. your your third tier super villains. Yeah. A lot hammer. of guys bring more bullets than arrows, and that's a key yeah. mistake. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it doesn't work out. And uh, David Lore, who is not part of any of that, thank you for being here too. Uh oh, time to go. 
<laughs> David Lore, founder of the Supergirl Recap Podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. There you go. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Allie McSupergirl <laughs> coming McSupergirl. soon. And uh, to everybody out there, thanks for listening. We hope that uh, you've enjoyed this. And if there are shows that you are now intrigued by that we've talked about and spoiled you only mildly about, uh, go, go listen to them. Uh, <laughs> go watch them. They're fun. And uh, it is, what, what a time to watch this. Movie. Don't go <laughs> watch Constantine. Constantine. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. And we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Incomparable. Goodbye. everybody let me ask you a question do you like the incomparable you're listening to it now did you know that we do a whole bunch of other podcasts that are kind of like the incomparable but they have lots of other people on and talk about other things and mean that you have more than one thing you can listen to in a week we do you could listen to let's say lazy doctor who starring steven and erica these titles i I think it's funny that doctor who's um penchant for spoilerific titles started really (laughs) really early because you get you get the escape yeah where they escape at the end and then this time we watched oh yeah we should probably say what we watched the ambush the ambush episode episode four four. yep yeah of of the Daleks, there go. or possibly the mutants, depending on uh, which which thing you're looking yeah. at. But we don't need to go into that again. How about me and Tim Goodman from The Hollywood Reporter on the TV talk machine? The first episode is called Kidnapping 2.0. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that, how they've, re- they've rethought kidnapping for the uh, 21st kidnapping century. 2.0. Well, the second episode is apparently titled, all capital letters, C-M-N-D colon slash crash, which is not a thing. I know it looks like a computery thing, not a thing, <laughs> not a thing that exists anywhere. I have a feeling I won't be watching the second episode of CSI oh, no. Cyber, but oh, no. I will watch. I have a feeling that we're going to make you watch it because <laughs> once you say not a thing, oh. you have to watch that episode so you can tell us here are all the things that were not a oh, thing. Oh my god! In the CBI okay. Cyber well, Division. Okay, we, we will inaugurate the CSI Cyber Challenge this okay. week. I will yes. watch Kidnapping 2.0 and report back to you. John Syracuse and I debate whether things are a robot or not. What do we know about Transformers, Jason? What the, are they? The robots in disguise, Autobots, wage the battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. You I know that. You got it. It's right there in the song. <laughs> they are robots. Why do they look like cars? They're in disguise. Yes, that's a real podcast. Scott McNulty has guests on Random Trek every week talking Star Trek. Anytime guided meditation or lucid dreaming happens, uh, I get annoyed. Now, okay, tell uh, it was mildly annoying to me, but tell me, can I ask you why? Just because I'm well, a psychotherapist, so I'd like to know why guided meditation <laughs> should, should I uh, should I lay down? Meditation bothers you. Uh, well, it, the guided meditation as a concept does not bother me. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> as a plot tool, as a plot tool, whenever they do it, it's it's a red flag to me. Either lucid dreaming. Uh, if Chakotay, it's a Chakotay episode, uh, and guided meditation if it's a Vulcan episode, uh, because it's like shorthand for spiritualism and uh, just kind of annoying. And then when they show it, like I've never been uh, guided in meditation, uh, so maybe I, I just am unfamiliar with it, but I feel like it doesn't happen the way they show it in this episode. There's the new Incomparable Game Show. In a distant future where water is scarce, a band of buccaneers tries to return cursed treasure that renders them immortal. So it's the pirates. Oh, is it Space Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, oh, is it, no, no. Is, it, is it Ice Pirates? It's the is Ice that... Pirates of the Caribbean. Give me the first, the full title. Oh, okay. It's it's the Ice Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl. Ten <laughs> points. <laughs> yeah, nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> well done, team. Way wow. to dig that uh-huh. one out. Our regular TV reviews. 
So if he were just some guy with, with mommy and daddy issues, that, that might be interesting. But what we have to always remember is he, I think, the reason he's doing all of this crime is because he has a vision. And so when, when Madame Gao's supply is not flowing, it's not that he's not going to make his ducats to be able to afford another SUV. It's that it's, it's impeding his vision of being able to make the city the, the way he thinks it needs to be. And like, what greater villain could you have, quote unquote, than, than somebody who has a vision that they think they need to see through? That that's it's so great. And, and, you know, it's funny you just mentioned the whole vision thing, because he is on a long game. And at the end of the day, he was not out of control. He did it systematically for a reason to start a war. Anthony Johnston and guests defend the unjustly maligned. So I started watching Murder, She Wrote, uh, and she came into the room one day, and she was like, are you watching Murder, She Wrote? Uh, and I said, yes, I am. And uh, she said, oh, my grandmother loved that show. And <laughs> I feel like a lot of people's grandparents really loved Murder, She Wrote. Dungeons and Dragons action on Total Party Kill. I came in here yes. to look for him. The door was open. I closed the door and locked it behind me. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've got my reasons. How did you get, how did you get into the cabin? It the was door open. is always the door locked. Was, the door was open when I walked in, obviously. And then these two suddenly I heard this loud exploding teak sound. <laughs> and these two came busting in the door. Uh, roll for deception. <laughs> <laughs> and much more. Check it all out at theincomparable.com.